This is the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast, a podcast for creatives, for those who are beginning to be creative or those who have built a business around their creativity. Here, we allow creatives to tell their story about how they got to where they are today, and we give some tips on how to make your creative business better than it was yesterday. Hey, everybody, guess what? The creative writing community is now open for membership. I'm so excited about this community because it is going to be dedicated to writers writing their book, publishing their book, and launching their book, all while having a good time and growing in their craft. Writing is typically an all-alone art, but you don't have to be a lone wolf and do everything yourself. In fact, I highly recommend that you don't, just for your own sanity. In the creative writing community, we're going to have live writing sprints, author hangouts, expert Q&As. We're going to learn all about the things that it takes to be an author these days and generally support each other in the craft. It will be a place where you can share your knowledge and learn from others and find collaboration and accountability with people who are serious about growing as writers. We're going to support each other, encourage each other, challenge each other, and be generally as committed to seeing each other succeed as we are to our own success. If you're interested in being part of such a group, head on over to catcaldwell.com and just click the pink button right at the header. Welcome, everybody. This is episode 80, oh, 87 of the Pencils and Lipstick podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by again and listening to the show. We are going to be talking with Peggy Cormory. She is a photographer. And what's interesting about Peggy is that she didn't pick up a camera until she was an adult. And, well, I don't want to spoil the whole story for you. You're definitely going to have to listen to, to her talk about how she became oh this photographer that just takes beautiful, beautiful pictures, definitely head down to the show notes and click on her Instagram link because, oh my goodness, her pictures are gorgeous. You know, everybody has a certain eye in their own art and a certain way of seeing the world. And I'm always a little bit jealous. (laughs) I mean, it's good. It makes me um, push myself to do other things. I certainly cannot take pictures like Peggy can. So there's something that Peggy said during the interview that really caught my attention. She was very wise to see that she had an interest in photography and that she wanted to take it further. And because of that, immediately signed up for some classes and to work with people um, who were well advanced above her, professional photographers. And she really put herself in a position to be taught, which is awesome. I think that is the best mindset that we can have as creatives, to always be looking to learn, to always be looking to other people who we see as ahead of us in certain ways, right? To keep that curiosity going. I think if we shut down our curiosity and we think that we know everything that our art (laughs) has to offer, learning-wise, you know, we've We're just going to shut down, really. What's interesting is when she started taking a class back in France, you'll learn of all the different places she has lived. She talks about the class going to the museum, and they're only going to look at two paintings. 
This got me thinking about how, you know, we're so busy these days, even with COVID shutting everything down. I haven't talked to one person who felt like they slowed down. You know, we are constantly on the go. And I think, especially as creative entrepreneurs, we really feel like we have to constantly be coming out with new content, feeding our audience, and we rarely slow down to really take a breath. And I think it's really important as museums start opening up, as venues start opening up, as you start feeling more comfortable getting out there, that you actually really get out there. It's going to feed your creativity. It's going to feed your brain and it's going to relax the stressors. It would be amazing to just allow yourself to go to a museum and look at one painting. Just think of that. Just going to a museum and sitting down and say, I'm going to spend two hours just looking at this painting. I think that in this this society of constantly moving, we almost are on this fast track every year of how many books can we read? How many paintings can I paint? Uh, How many songs can I sing? Or how many books can I write? And there's nothing wrong with having goals like that. Absolutely. I mean, I have to be looking in the mirror as I say this, right? Because if you let me, I would sit and write like 20 hours a day. It's constantly on my mind. I never think that I'm doing enough. So I'm definitely talking to myself. But I think that if we allow ourselves to sit back and pursue a different creativity a little bit, just to sit in it, to soak in it, to see what we can see in it. You know, maybe it's not a painting. Maybe you paint all the time and look at pictures all the time, but you turn on a different type of music and you sit or you lie down and close your eyes and really allow it to embody you, to just listen to it, to see what it will do for you. Maybe you pick up a book and you pay attention to reading it and take the time and you just slow down and absorb it. Yes, we have to have our goals and we have to come out with our paintings and having these, you know, 100-day challenges or 50-day challenges or whatever it is, they are amazing. They will push your creativity as well. There's a time and place for them, absolutely. There's also a time and place to slow down and allow one piece of art just consume you. I think it's just a different way to challenge yourself and to challenge your creativity to sit and look at some of these old paintings and see what you can see and see what you can allow your imagination to get to. Maybe you're a writer and you look at a painting and you think, all right, I'm just going to sit here for a while and in silence, maybe you'll come up with a whole new story. Or maybe you'll figure out what your story that you're working on needs. Our brains are kind of crazy like that. Sometimes they just need silence and a focus on something else to solve the problem that is completely unrelated. You know, I have this poster in my office. It is all the illustrations from Dr. Peterson's newest book, Beyond Order. He got this artist to 
do line drawings for every single chapter, which they're absolutely amazing. The detail is mind-boggling to me. I, you know, when I say that I'm a little jealous of people, I am not kidding. <laughs> she is super talented. I highly encourage you to, to check out the drawings. They're in the book as well, but I really wanted a large poster. Maybe I can put a link in the show notes. I'll show you a picture of it. But to just sit and look at them and see the detail of them and to see the story that the artist is telling and to allow my brain to just absorb every line, every curve, everything about them and to see where my brain will take me. I also do this sometimes with music, as I said before, and sometimes I just bake. That's kind of my go-to. As some of you might know, if you follow my newsletter, I'm learning to bake bread and I'm trying to stop multitasking. I think that is one of our biggest issues as creative entrepreneurs. We're always multitasking, aren't we? And that's probably what keeps us feeling busy. Sometimes I just take the dough and I try to allow my brain to focus on the artistry of bread baking. <laughs> well, I am not yet an artist in bread baking, but, you know, to try to understand the process where flour and water has become this stretchy, gooey thing that I'm about to bake and eat because it's delicious. <laughs> so I highly encourage you to take at least a day, a few hours, now that maybe you've challenged yourself to do some really goal-oriented, productivity-oriented things in this first half of the year, try to take a little bit of time to slow down. But not to slow down to do nothing, but to take one thing and stare at it. Take one thing and just listen to it. Take one thing and allow your mind to be consumed by it. And there's tons of creativity in this world, isn't there? And I think that when we tap into it, one that, you know, we're not experts at and it's not our particular creativity, it will open our brains on the creativity that really, that we're really passionate about. And yes, I say this and I'm like, oh, but I really have to get my editing done and I really have to get my writing done. So it does take a little bit of discipline, right, to allow yourself that time. But I just kind of want to to, to give you the permission, I guess, as they love to say these days, <laughs> and to just maybe the challenge to do that. It's summertime. Go find something fun to do. Stare at the trees. Maybe nature is a beautiful example of creativity. And, you know, just looking at the light pass through the trees, that would be an awesome thing to do. <laughs> that, that actually sounds really great. Maybe I'll do that today. Once again, I want to encourage you guys, um, if you're looking for a different medium, if writing is not your thing and you want to join us on a writing sprint, I do sort of public live writing sprints. They are free through the summer. We do two prompts and you can do them both introspectively or as fiction if you prefer. All you have to do is head on over to catcaldwell.com and scroll about halfway down and click the link and sign up. There are about three different days and three different times. Find a time that works for you. 
I highly encourage you to try it at least once. If you can't make those times, look for the coming soon of the course. It's going to be free for all of you listeners to have five days of writing prompts. They'll come into your email box. There'll be a short little video and um, just an encouragement to sit and write. You don't have to be a writer to do this. In fact, you're going to write as poorly as possible because it's really about just strengthening a different muscle, strengthening a different creative muscle. So I encourage you to do that even if you are a writer or not a writer. I think that it will, it'll be a lot of fun, actually. People are usually surprised at how fun they are. If you are a writer, I want to continue to encourage you to seek out a community. If you want to see if the creative writing community is for you, you can contact me and you can join us for one of our writing sprints. It is a writing sprint in which we write and work on our individual books or stories, whatever we're working on. But we do it live. We do it together. We talk for five minutes. We write for 20, talk for five, write for 20. And we really just come together. There is camaraderie there. There is encouragement there. There, uh, It's a time to ask other writers possible questions. Uh, we also have master classes that we have in which experts from the publishing and the writing field we also have master classes in which the experts in all different subjects and just writers in themselves with all their knowledge come in and talk to us. This month we had Pagan from Paperback Kingdom, and that was awesome because we talked about book blurbs, which are very difficult for some of us writers to get precise. So I encourage you to check out Pagan from Paperback Kingdom and to check out the creative writing community. If you guys love the show and you want to make sure my editor, Christy, and I keep going, especially Christy, she has all the really hard work as my voice kind of goes in and out and she has to level that out. You can definitely buy us a coffee and we would really appreciate it because we got to stay caffeinated, guys. The link to buy us a coffee is below. If you want to become a monthly donor to help keep the show going. There's quite a few little extras over at patreon.com forward slash pencils, lipstick. I think it's pencils dash lipstick. Anyway, the, <laughs> the link will be in the show notes. You can become a monthly donor. There's quite a few videos there. You will receive a sticker in the mail because we're cool like that. And we would really greatly appreciate it. It will keep the show going and it helps to pay for all the back-end stuff because we love making the show and we want to make sure that we get as many creative voices and stories out there as possible. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to Peggy Cormary. She's going to tell us her story about becoming a photographer. Hello, today we have Peggy Cormary with us for the Pencils and Lipstick podcast. I'm excited to have Peggy because she's somebody I actually know in person, in real life. Hello, Peggy. How are you doing? Hello. I'm excited to talk to you formally, I guess we'll say, because you and I chat all the time about our creativity. You are right now in Maryland, so not far from me, but you haven't, you never grew up in Maryland. So could you tell us a little bit about where you are from and how you made it to Maryland? 
Sure. So you can hear it right away with my accent. <laughs> I was born in France. Then, you know, I moved to the U.S. Um, I met my husband in France and we decided to, to move to the U.S. We went first to San Francisco, California, and then we ended up to Dallas, Texas, uh, where we stayed for 12 years. We had two kids there, and we really enjoyed our time in, in Dallas. Then after 12 years, we decided to have a new adventure, and we moved to Brazil. And so that was a real different and challenging adventure coming from Dallas, Texas, because we ended up in a very small town. Uh, we were not in a big city, and uh, we were about three hours and a half drive from Sao Paulo. And uh, it was like really beautiful, but it, like, it was a total change of scenery. It was the middle of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> a new language again. I uh, had to start to learn Portuguese. There was one supermarket. It was like a very small town. Wow. Yes, it was like very, I was challenging at the beginning. The kids were seven and nine at the time. And uh, the first day of school, they were to a a Brazilian school. And I said, okay, guys, it's going to be fun. And I told them three words. I said, obrigada, which means thank you. Por favor, which means please. (laughs) And banieros to ask for the restrooms. <laughs> it was the only three words I knew anyway. So they were very like, you know, kids, they are very resilient. They were like, yeah, fine, we're going. Um, when I picked them up, they were like, oh my gosh, I don't speak the language. <laughs> I don't speak the language. The Brazilian were like super nice with kids and they, they tried everything to make them, you know, uh, welcome and comfortable. And so by, you know, by t- two months, they picked up the language and they were actually It's happy. so frustrating, isn't it? The kids just go right away and us moms are left behind. <laughs> and for me, it was another story. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We struggle. We're more self-conscious. Yes. You know, yeah. and there aren't as many opportunities to talk. I mean, the kids go to the playground, they figure out how to play, yeah. they pick up words. And they speak, yeah, and they speak every day the language. I was not right. speaking every day the language because I didn't have the opportunity at the beginning. Right. Uh, so it's more challenging anyway. Yes, yes. So after the, this adventure, uh, we stayed a year and a half in, the, in Itajuba, in Ajerais. And then we moved to a bigger city because my oldest, Julian, was entering sixth grade and he, did, he needed a bigger structure. So we found, uh, we went, to, we, we moved to Campinas, which was nothing to compare with. It was a big city close to Sao Paulo, so a different life there. And uh, we really enjoyed it too. It was just like very different. The school was beautiful. The kids had still that feeling to be in Brazil because, you know, it was like an open space school. Uh, there was monkeys and trees. Wow. Yeah. So it was like, it was like also a great adventure to be there. Then after we moved uh, again, <laughs> to we went back to France. Julian was 14 and Axel was 11. And we decided that also it would be good for them to know France. It was, yeah. uh, it was a good time for them to move there. So we moved back to Aix-en-Provence. Uh, that was a great experience. It was challenging for them, though, because they 
people consider them French because they speak French, but they didn't have all the background of yeah. The, the it's country. the culture stuff, right? That you miss when you're raising yeah. your kids outside that they don't know the slang. Yeah. They so don't they know felt, the they cool stuff. Really strangers. They felt strangers, but this time people considered them as French, and but they were not. They were like, wow, where are we? <laughs> so they had a bit of adjustment. But as I said earlier, they're very resilient. And so it was also a great experience. Right. And now you're here in Maryland near yes. me. We sort of... We've been in some of the same places, but we've never been there at the same time. So So I didn't get to go to Brazil. I just came right over here. So you are a photographer. When, When in your point of life did you pick up a camera? Was this way when you were younger or did you pick it up kind of along the way in your travels? Well, I've been very visual. Uh, visual person. Uh, I'm a visual learner. I am very visual. I remember places. Uh, if I'm lost, I will remember details and mm. I will find my way. So I think I always had that in my life. I didn't start photography in my early years, but um, although I was always interested, but the day I really picked up that camera was like six months before leaving to Brazil. I was still in Dallas. So I was planning to move and I was like, okay, I, I, it was hard for me to leave Dallas because I had so much memories of the kids growing there mm. that I wanted also to document that um, different, differently that, you know, snapshots with my, with my phone. Mm-hmm. So I started classes and I started to document a little bit more our life and places that I liked. And when the kids uh, grew up in Dallas, I made a great friend over there that was my camera buddy. So uh, we did we did together a lot of photography. And when I arrived in Brazil, I didn't know how to really express my feeling because I was totally overwhelmed. Right. Uh, the first the first six months I was overwhelmed with everything. So this is where I decided to use photography to it was for me a way to relax when I was doing the photos. But at the beginning I was a little bit stressed because people also saw me as a stranger and I have a camera in my hand. So at some point I had some situation that was a little bit tricky. I couldn't, they were like, what are you doing? And I didn't, couldn't understand uh, what they were telling me. So then I decided not to go in crowded places. So I, hmm. I went to document more landscape, uh, sceneries. The light was so beautiful there that, you know, I played with that right. until I was more comfortable with the language. And I took a class again. Uh, with a photojournalist, Isabella Senator, and she accepted me in her class. Everybody was speaking Portuguese. So <laughs> it was uh, a double, you know, for me it was language class and photography <laughs> class. <laughs> that will do it. That will teach you the language. Yeah. And we worked together and I really enjoyed it. And she really helped me also to feel more comfortable with people because there is like, it's just showing them you, you're, not, you're not doing something wrong. But, you know, nowadays, everybody's taking pictures everywhere and Mm -hmm. um, people want to know what you're doing with their pictures. So she showed me and she explained to me how to talk to them and how to approach people. And then, you know, the Brazilians, they are very open and they really like having their picture taken. So uh, we work on on a project in street photography. So it was the first time of my life that I had to have to shoot in the streets uh, with bodyguards. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
we had to have bodyguards because Sao Paulo, it's a beautiful city, but it's also a dangerous city. Okay. At the beginning, you feel weird that you have always someone next to you um, armed. And then after you forget about it when you're in the shoot and you forget. But first, interesting. Yeah. First minutes is a bit weird. Do you think that really picking up that camera before you go to Brazil, and when I think of Brazil, I haven't been there, but I just think of color and vibrance. And do you think that it would have, maybe your love wouldn't have developed as much if it was just Dallas? Because when I think of Dallas, there's a few things to photograph, but I definitely don't think of vibrance. (laughs) I think of of heat. For for me, it was more, Dallas was more memories. Memories, um, But you know, there was, there was like the playground that we were going to the kids and it was the old one at the time. It was not like the brand new one. And uh, it was a bit rusty. And so I took a couple of photos there because I was still into bringing some memories and some sensitivity, you know, I mean, I mm-hmm. could remember uh, touching uh, those, you know, um, structure and the field and when, when they were very hot, for instance, or where they were very cold mm-hmm. and the noise of the kids, you know, uh, going and playing and running everywhere on those uh, structures. So it was, for me, it was more that for Dallas. For Brazil, yes, for sure. When I arrived, it was an explosion of color, a lot of green, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of green, green, green everywhere. And rain, uh, you rained um, a lot. So, but it's like tropical. So it rains for like 10 minutes and like, wow. And then after it's beautiful because the, the, the sky is like very bright blue. Yeah. It's very intense. And um, it's like, it, it, and people go down with that, you know, you just pull that their umbrella and they keep going. And <laughs> they're just used to it. <laughs> we all yeah. go running for shelter. And I, I remember that in Ireland too, where people are like, yeah, it'll stop. <laughs> and then they just keep going. Yeah, and Americans are like, ah, what they have to do. They, they don't care. You know, it's like, and I was like, oh, my camera, where are I going to go? It's crazy. But no, they were like, oh. Doesn't matter. <laughs> and really, it's really intense. It really lasts for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and then you stop. Wow. Yes. That's quite the difference, especially from Dallas, where it yes. just burns Very your different. skin. And then you, you know, you're always seeking shelter in Dallas, whether it's a storm or the sun burning you. Oh, yeah. And so you're rarely outside. So when you hear the siren also. When, when I think of France and the French culture, and I lived there for six years, the French women are very creative. And I think the French culture, it's interesting because you guys have the, you are kind of the fashion central and you are where painters, you know, always congregate and they, they mix there and they, um, new styles come out of France. You know, it's a very visual culture, very creative. And a lot of my French friends have a fantastic eye for for photography. Do you do you have any theory on where this comes from? On how you guys, where can we get this? Because <laughs> I can take the same picture and it won't look. You know, I'll be there with my camera and I can stand right next to you and it won't look the same. Wow, I have no idea. It's like, yeah, now that you tell me that, I can relate on it. But you know, I feel like. You know, it's photography, it's like practicing also mm. like everything. Yes, you can have a good eye at the beginning, you see things, but then after it's like question of practice and practice and practice to make the photo interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, 
It's also sometimes not staying also at the same level. Because if you just stay at the same level, eye level, uh, it's boring because this is what we see. Um, the moment that you change your angle of the camera, you go down or you go up or you angle the camera, that is something also that becomes more interesting sure. to look at. And this is what the photography teach you, the photography class teach you. But also, if you, I feel like if you're a curious person and um, you want to experience, experience or experiment new things, uh, this is where you're going to discover that by yourself. Yeah. So maybe coming back with the French, maybe there is some curiosity at some point, you know, that yeah. um, we develop and we want to experience, you know, something new. Yeah, I wonder if you guys are taught, uh, because the French education is much different from the American education. We won't get into that, but we'll just have the listeners understand it's it's different. It's different. <laughs> Very different. Yeah. But I wonder if you guys are encouraged more to seek out education when you become curious about something. Where I think of the average American, it's almost like, well, I can do it. And they'll just keep going with their camera instead of seeking out. I mean, did you seek out specifically a class with a photojournalist because you knew that she would teach you something that you didn't know? With with uh, Isabella, it was more for me to to understand, to be more comfortable and to be able to go in the streets and to take some photo that will have a meaning for me mm-hmm. uh, from those people. But to come back to the, for the French education, I feel like it's you know I remember being very bored at my at my place and this is something that my parents always told me that it's good that if you're bored mm-hmm. because um if you're bored you have you're gonna have to use your imagination so i feel like the french system is very stricture so we all day very long day at school mm-hmm. um but then after i think french parents and education at my time uh, my parents didn't put me in a lot of uh, activities mm-hmm. um different activities so i had like a lot of time at home also by myself and to look for activities by myself. So this is, I see, maybe I had to use more my imagination and to get curious on scene. Yeah. So I would see maybe it, come from, it comes from that. True, true. Well, your daughter's very, very artistic as well. So there's something there. I want to have the magic French pill, but... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just, just, yeah, sometimes, you know, when we're uh, doing the summer, we visited France and we were at my parents and we were doing the same thing. I was doing the same thing. They were playing in, in, uh, in the backyard. Uh, and um, sometimes she was coming into the board and my dad was saying, yeah, it's good that you're bored. Yeah. And he goes, but I'm really bored. And he said, fine. And then after a moment, she was, we would find her, you know, finding herself, you know, activities or drawing or, running and you know she she found her own way to entertain herself (laughs) that that other the older generation was much better at just digging their heels into us i mean like yeah we don't care if you're bored (laughs) (laughs) we just don't care you think oh oh my gosh they don't care and then you go find something else Uh, well but the idea of documenting i think that's a curious word because when i think of french photography um, I have a couple of pieces hanging in my around my house because it is kind of documentation of life and finding the documentation of culture and texture and the sound, 
you know, and you can see it. I have this one of these little girls walking with the baguettes, you know, under their arms. Like, and the, you know, some of the girls' socks are slouched down. I don't know. There's just these little details about it. And you can almost hear their giggling, you know, at as they're walking towards the, the camera. And I think that documentation is just, for me, it's beautiful because it's really capturing what life is and what, especially, you know, these are probably photographs from the fifties or the forties even. So I wonder if that plays in a little bit in, from the French culture of documenting how life is, you know, how just the everyday, a lot of it, when you go to Provence or whatever, it's just the documenting the beauty that you see every single day. Yeah. And it's totally, you're totally right. When I was working with Isabella, after a while, I was I was not finding what I wanted to express through my photo in the city, in Sao Paulo. So she said, you're not comfortable to do that. I didn't like, you know, I tried, but I didn't like the bodyguards. And there were so many things I was overwhelmed because mm. it's a giant city. So we came back to Campinas. The, the city we were living and uh one day i was driving and i saw that beautiful train station it was an old train station and there was uh, i just arrived at, I, I parked my car and i and i went to see it inside and it was a beautiful old uh, steam train wow and I took a couple of photos with my phone and I texted Isabella and I said, hey, I found this place in Campinas. It's amazing because it's, it's, it's like very authentic and there's like this old train. And I said, what is it for? And she said, oh, you found it. And I said, yes, I found this place. You know, I didn't, you didn't tell me about it. And uh, she said, yes, I really like this place too. And you should go during the weekend. And she didn't tell me more. So I went, I took my camera, I went during the weekend and I found out some lots more, more activities because it was like during the weekend, people come and they do like a tour and they come from the favela that was next to uh, the place. And uh, the vibes was incredible because there was like different uh, generation, the family, there was like the uncle, the grandmother, the daughter, the cousins, everybody was there and you could feel the excitement. Yeah. Some was like uh, some of the people were super excited. The kids were running everywhere. The grandparents were looking, you know, anxiously about, you know, when the train is going to arrive. Or and there was a cousin and the aunt and everything. And um, I didn't take photos that day. I had my camera and uh, I asked if I could take some photos, and uh, they said yes. So I started and I was happy. But then I decided to go every weekend. And so I went every weekend and uh, then after people knew me, they knew that I was the French uh, <laughs> photographer and uh, they forgot about me. So this is where, you know, I was really able to, as you mentioned before, do we document what I wanted to show. Wow. Um, and especially there was nothing at the beginning. I really wanted to photograph the before, you know, they, the train arrived. So, and all the different feeling I could feel and vibes and, and, you know, interaction with people and uh, people forgot about me. And this is why I did, um, I did this series in black and white. I was like super, super, super I was very proud of it. I really liked it. it was, wow. Like, very good. I'm surprised how much work it makes so much sense, but that's a lot of work to go in there and go every weekend. That 
that's a lot of time. It's uh, yeah, I think it went for about three, four weeks every Saturday. You have a, you really have to create to sponsor activity is very good, but also if you want people to trust you, you have to create this relationship with people mm. um, because you will get that spontaneity from them because they are they know what you're doing. Right. And, and they they will forget about you, but also they trust you. So they will right. they will show really where they are. They will not pretend. So yeah. you can get in the streets, you know, when you do that, sometimes you're lucky you get someone and uh, you get the spontaneity. But nowadays it's complicated because you have the the, the public images and people are sometimes afraid what you're going to do with their photos. Yeah, there is some rules. And so I found that place very good because it's it was public place, but I was able to use it. And people and people knew me uh, because it was funny because almost every week it was the same person doing it again and again and again. It was like their entertainment for the weekend. And so, <laughs> but each time they were going, each time they were like the same excitement. So it was it was incredible. Wow. See, yeah. and I, I I wonder if if we really have in this day and age that patience that you still need. You know, it it's like you have to learn it. Like you, you know, you're saying that you had your camera that first time, but you realize this isn't going to work to just go around and snap people's pictures. And it, part of it might even be, I feel very odd doing that. You know, like I, I can imagine me going in, like, I want this picture of this grandparent or whatever, but I feel really weird getting three feet away and taking their picture and being like, no, no, don't look, don't look, (laughs) don't don't mind me. Oh my gosh. What is this person doing? Exactly. So you have to feel comfortable. And then, like you said, the other people have to feel comfortable. And I hope anybody listening realizes art sometimes is an investment of time without any return for a while. Yeah, it is. It is. And uh, patience, as you mentioned it. And uh, so with, with, with people, so it's a relationship that you have to build. When I take portraits, uh, so when, when, when I arrived in Aix en Provence, it was like for me, really different because I knew the place. So after Brazil, everything was so intense for me that when I arrived in France, I was like, I don't know what to photograph anymore. Mm. And I was with the international community and I was with a German friend and she was showing me, she said, look at that building. It's so beautiful. And I was looking at her and I was like, yes, I know, but I've, I've seen that all my life. So for me, it's part of me, it's part of my life. It's not different, but for her. And so I was trying to understand. And it took me a while. It took me a while to finally reopen my eyes and see it. But at the beginning, I was not seeing anything. And I was frustrated. I told her, I lost uh, my ability to see. I I cannot see anything. So I decided to do a little bit more of a portrait. And this is what I was telling the models. I was like... And, and sometimes it was not models. I was like, it takes it takes like the five, 10, 15 minutes hour, the photo will be not bad. Sometimes we're lucky, we can get a good shot, but you know, because first of all, uh, the person in front of the camera is very self-conscious. Right. And so she won't relax. So you cannot get a true truthness <laughs> yeah. in five minutes. It's not possible. And this is where also you learn to build that relationship with the person 
I learned to see how she moves and how we interact together. And then after 20 minutes, I tell you, the person becomes, she's going to lose this self-consciousness for sure because you cannot, after 15, 20 minutes, you cannot. And this is where you get the really good shot. Right. And some spontaneity. And also I know, and, and, and this is how we, you build also this relationship of trust. So this is patience again. So yes. when I have uh, people telling me, okay, we have to do that fast and uh, I just need 10 minutes. I say, no, I, right. I won't be able to give you a good portrait in five minutes. This is not possible. For me. Right. And how <laughs> you can do like a company lanyard <laughs> picture in 10 minutes. You can't do like a portrait that you're going to yeah. want to photograph. Yeah, you know, you have that that smile. <laughs> that yeah, like, oh. And I tell you, I did it for um I worked at some point a school photo. So I did it at school. And I just have like a lot of students. So you have like five minutes, less than five minutes per student. So you have them sit down, you know, put your shoulder that way, smile, and you see how you know the school photos are, you know. Yes, everyone hates us. <laughs> Everyone hates us. Even in this day and age of digital, it still doesn't get done right, you know. There's so much stillness in the photo, you know, they're like they're so stiff, you know. Yes. Like, oh my gosh. I know one of my my youngest who's very, you know, outgoing and very like she will go talk to people at her school pictures. She looks like a doll, just like they have they have like Two minutes for students sometimes. So yeah, you know. they always have this like weird, worried. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Next, yeah, get out of here. You know, the worst was when it wasn't digital, and my eyes would always be like half closed because I have light eyes. I'd always have to go to retakes. It was terrible. So, but it was in Accent Provence where you got into food as well. Yeah, I worked a lot with, uh, I started with wineries. Um, so because there was like a lot of potential there and wineries. Yeah. So I had the chance um, to meet a new uh, a winery owner and we worked together. It was a great experience. And then I worked for a food magazine in Aix en Provence. So I went to all different little restaurants and I worked with a chef and um, I really liked to take the photo, the, the color and to style with the food. In between, I, I went back to school and I um, studied uh, visual arts. Uh, so in X, and this is also where we were studying. So we were looking at paintings and a lot. So again, uh, learning uh, to see and yeah. to compose. And so every day I was going to class. And then I was I was doing some shoots for restaurants, and so I developed uh, my eyes was you know more and more into I was not seeing essentially only the food I was seeing the the colors the the textures and how put them together right um, and so it really started to interest me, and so when we moved here in Maryland it was during COVID, I no more clients. <laughs> <laughs> COVID so, ruins everything. <laughs> Yeah, so I was like, but what about I do some food styling? And because I started it in in, in X, and um, I started, I built my studio here, and uh, I started to play with food and with my camera, and and I really enjoyed it. And I was still looking at, I still had in my mind all the paintings I looked at. So mm. some of the food styling I did at some point. So my friend was saying, it looks like a painting, and uh, you know, I was. 
Yeah, I was I was finding some inspiration from uh, still life for sure. You have beautiful pictures. Like, and it's amazing to me that you've you've only really been doing this for less than ten years, eight years. Yeah, it's been well. You're now, but I mean, you started amateur, so like it's about ten years. You start amateur, and then you take a few classes. And I mean, I'm going to put the link in the show notes to just checking out your Instagram. These pictures, I was showing my husband the other day, the one with the summer where you, you're you dropping the ice I, into that glass. <laughs> and I'm telling him like, okay, so you have a beautiful picture with all these colors and these textures and it's splashing out of the glass. And I told him, you know, I highly doubt it was that one picture. So she's splashing, then she's cleaning, then she's resetting, then she's splashing and cleaning and resetting all day long. You know, the amount of time that goes in there to get this beautiful picture. And I mean, we can all scroll through our Instagram and people who take pictures of their food, it does not come out like that. (laughs) You know, when you're in the restaurant, my husband and I are always trying to document our you know, if we go to a fancy place and it's dark and you can't see anything and it doesn't do it justice, you know? So there definitely is not only an eye to it, but a way that you put things together. It's interesting that art school or art class, visual art would help you with that. I mean, I I wouldn't have put those two together, but now that you say it, it makes sense. Yeah. You know, uh, looking at paintings and old masters uh, really open your eyes to see how they were uh, treating the light. It's amazing when you look at the Rembrandts or, you know, all those masters. And uh, when you look at it, I mean, we did a field trip in Paris. So we visited, we stayed like five days. And the teacher said at the beginning, we're going to go to the Louvre this morning, tomorrow morning. And we're going to arrive at the opening and we're going to leave it when they're going to close. And we're going to look at two paintings. And I was like, really? Two paintings? <laughs> There's thousands of paintings in the loop, and you're just going to look at two paintings? What are we going to do? And this is where they wanted us, just they're teaching us to see. Yeah. And uh, it was true. After, you know, we looked at some of the fo- p- uh, painting for four hours or three hours. It was amazing what we could see at wow. the end. Because, you know, you go to the museum, you see the painting. So you have a painting that's going to touch you more than another and you don't know why and go and you move on because you want to see all the paintings and when we saw all those giant you know paintings and and then after we look through the details and the light and how everything was placed you know you're like oh my gosh I can see that and see that and people were commenting and we were not about really the story or about what the meaning of the story was more about what we really see and I think it really helped you to train your eyes same things so yeah it was a pretty amazing experience and then after you can really you can relate to photography for sure right yeah there are some of those beautiful paintings i haven't been in the louvre for years should probably go back but prada when like i don't know how they did it but it looks like a like a photograph like the light how did they figure out the paint i know it's what's incredible it's incredible it's like when we went to musée de l'orangerie and we see monet's it's like, and we stayed, at, uh, I think, two hours in front of money. And at some point, I started to have like almost a hallucination. I was like seeing scenes. I was saying, <laughs> look, look, I see that. <laughs> it was like, really? 
I just need some sunlight right now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting this fast-paced life in this kind of tourist life. Like you said, we go through the Louvre. All I remember is how disappointing Mona Lisa was <laughs> because she's so tiny. <laughs> like, yeah, you, <laughs> you can't find it, you know. Um, and then running through there to to see everything. It's just like this fast-paced life. But if you sit down and look at it. And that must be how they learned just sitting yeah. and watching because there wasn't any, how else would they have learned and to learn from these, these great artists? Yeah. You and I have talked a little bit about, you know, we've went through COVID, both of us moved during COVID, you know, we have <laughs> kids, we've kind of always been on the move. And as women who are kind of following the, the husband's career, you know, we are always sort of like, especially in the beginning, we have the kids, maybe we, you know, worked at some point, but then the kids take over and the husband career moves us again. And we don't know the language. <laughs> We're just sort of there. So I'm glad that we both have our creative side that we found, but how, at what point did you realize that you kind of wanted to make it into a business and that that would be a possibility? When we, you know, when we arrived in Brazil after, I, we stayed four years and a half. And so the first two years were very challenging. So it was like, I couldn't, my mind was uh, busy with other things, trying to get settled and understand the culture. But at the end, I was like, I want to use photography as a job. Mm-hmm. And uh, starting to dig in in the internet, and I found a lot of women also was doing doing it more and more because photography at the beginning was more a man job, uh, but with the digital and now also the the material is lighter. I found a lot of women doing it as a job, and I was and you know it makes sense for me because I was like I'm a very visual person. We need content. We need images. You know nowadays yeah. we we. we you know, when you're Instagram, you are, you know, we have internet, you have websites, you know, the first thing people are going to see about your business is your images. Yeah. Um, and this is, this is your first impression. Uh, so I was, yes, no, there is a lot of potential. Right. Because my clients are all the <laughs> businesses. <laughs> uh, and I also really like to work with most of the time I worked with women and entrepreneur and they have like, I love to hear about their ideas and story. And mm-hmm. also I think I really like to work with them to bring their ideas and or products or live and with the images. Right. Uh, it's a great collaboration. I love doing that. Yeah. So, and after them, uh, because as I mentioned before, the first thing you're going to say when you say, okay, I have a business of blah, blah, blah. People are going to look at your website or your Instagram or your social. They want to yeah. see. They want yeah. to see what you are. What it's you so are, true. You like. It's yeah. so true. I took a class in 2020 and they're like, y'all need to get at least five good pictures. I was like, how? Everything's close. <laughs> you know, like how, how can you do this? And, you know, people will set up a camera and try to take like a selfie or something, you know, but now that things are opening up, it's a little bit easier. And even over here where it's a little strict, we've opened up. So you've been able to meet other people and step out and, and set up the business even more because people might not know, but switching three different countries, you know, you might have a business that's kind of your portfolios online, but it's not easy to just switch countries and 
you basically have to start over again. Yes. But you know what? I was reflecting. It was like last week because I worked a lot on creating. So uh, my social here again and my Instagram and all the things. And I was reflecting that it's also a good thing because when, well, I have no choice. You have to recreate it. <laughs> but at some points when you move like that, I have to let it go because there is a point that I cannot, I cannot do photography because I don't have any more material. I cannot, you know, physically it's not possible. My All my things are in the container for five weeks. <laughs> in yeah. So I can't do anything. So it forced me to reflect. And so, yes, I can go and check my website. And because I cannot do, uh, my mind is free and I have like this time or I can sit down and look at it and I say, or maybe I, I can do that. Or maybe I should do that. And I really like also having this time. Right. Because otherwise you don't have time to just sit down and to reflect about what you're doing. And I know, you know, sometimes I don't want it. I don't want it because it's a very hard time to let it go. But I have to let it go. And when I come back and look at it, I see it with a, with a new eye. That's um, interesting. So I think it's very good. That's a good point though. Yeah. Cause if you're not forced to take that time, we don't usually take that time. Yeah. We think that we just go, 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 go. Yeah. And it is a kind of blessing in disguise of like, well, yeah. I can work on other things. How, how was it to learn all of the technical stuff that goes with photography? Because you spend hours behind the scenes as well with yeah. your pictures. Well, the technical part is important because it will leave, give you uh, freedom for creativity. Mm. So you need to know how to use the light. You need to know how to use a camera in manual mode, for instance. This is what I said to people when they ask me. Uh, I, teach, I teach a couple of, uh, I used to teach a couple of uh, photography class. And I have those people saying like, I've got this beautiful camera, but I don't know how to use it. And they're just in auto mode. So this, the first time I said, okay, we're not going to learn auto mode. Uh, we're going to learn uh, all the other mode. And um, and yes, uh, there is a learning curve. But, you know, after, you know, it really helps you to be more creative. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the technical part is a challenge. But then, you know, after it's a question of practice again. And then after you're very happy because you can do things that you won't be, you will not have been able to do staying with automatic mode, for instance. Right. Okay. So all these little, yeah, I have a beautiful camera too. The next time we get together, you <laughs> You should do an online course. I'll sign up for it. I haven't taken a photography course since I was in high school. And I think like these days when I was in high school, that was, you know, kind of the only creative extracurricular we had at my school and there was no digital. You had to, you had to develop the film, which was fun to develop. But I have to say like a tiny little school budget was not very high and my personal budget was almost non-existent. So developing film, you pretty much got one thing of film, you know, per kid. Every picture was terrible because <laughs> you were on manual mode and it's either like too bright or all washed out or too dark. And you get so disappointed because you did all this work or what you thought was going to, you know, look great. And it didn't. Yeah, digital, you know, really helps about that because you have an um, instant uh, feedback of what you're doing. Yes. Yes. And Although it, it'd be fun to go in the, in the dark room, you know, at least learning, Yeah, you know, like, oh, that's all washed out because whatever setting you have, I only remember aperture. Yeah. I bought an, uh, an old camera, a film one, 
because I do so many photos in digital, digitally that, you know, now personally for my family, I decided to, when we go on vacation, to just, you know, do the film one. So two week, one week ago, we went on a weekend and I took my film and I had just two walls. So I was like, I can't, I just can't, I give 48 photos. And um, I did 48 and I really liked the feel and I was waiting for them. And uh, now they don't, you can ask for when you develop the film, they just scan the, the photo and they send them digitally. And then after you can select the one you be, to be printed. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I really liked the, the feel was like, first of all, I was like, I cannot see what I'm doing. <laughs> Second of all, I'm going to have to wait to see those yeah. photos. A week at least. I was excited about seeing them. And then now I received them. And yes, they are just have 48 photos for that weekend. And I really got like the idea also not having 500 photos on that. Yeah, because we computer. never print them. Really yeah. 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 And I was really careful about what to take. You know, I was not, you know, taking my camera and say, oh, this is nice. Oh, I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that. So I really have to be. Uh, to be very selective on what, what I, I would I would take, and at some point there was a beautiful sunset, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I just have two photos left!" <laughs> <laughs> and I was frustrated. I was like, "Ah, if I had my digital, I could have done you know hundred photos of that sunset. It's so beautiful." And I was like, "I just have two left." <laughs> That's so funny. I... But it worked. It worked. Yeah, it worked. You know, there's a whole I generation. Yeah. I mean, that's what most people did like before 2010, <laughs> really, you know, I mean, <laughs> maybe when did the iPhone come about, you know, 2009 or so, 10, when, whenever I didn't have one until I was 2012, but it's interesting because there's a whole generation that doesn't understand that excitement, that waiting for the yeah. pictures. And I think exactly, that you're... At the beginning, I was a little bit like, mm, I don't know if I'm going to do that. But now I'm excited to do it. I'm really excited to do it. Huh. Now you've got me thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's great. And also, I realized that when we were on, on, on vacation, I was always behind the camera taking tons of photos. And I didn't enjoy also the, the moment. And um, being restrained with the number of photos that you can take also teach you hey, just enjoy the moment. And you don't mm -hmm. have to be behind the camera all the time. Um, and it's okay if you don't have like, okay, you miss that beautiful sunset, but you still have in your memory. It's fine. That's you know? true. Yeah. Isn't so, that interesting how we have all this technology these days and we're missing more life probably than, than before? Yeah, but you know, as a photographer, after you, you know, as passionate as I am, yes, you know, I've been all the time with my camera, carrying my camera everywhere. Yes, I realized that there is a moment I can't do that, but there's a moment also I can just step back, step back a little bit and just enjoy the moment a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And so with my digital camera, I won't be able to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I will take the photo. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it funny that it will change it for you? Well, that's exactly very French philosophy. Uh, we can go into what life, <laughs> the difference between the, the digital and the the what would it be called the film camera the anal analog maybe i'm gonna make up words now because i'm a writer so i'll just make up words 
<laughs> well, thank you, Peggy, for coming on and telling us all thank about you. your photography journey. I'm going to put links um, to the show notes. If you live anywhere in the area and you're looking for portraits, I would I would go to Peggy. And maybe in a few months, you guys will see her work on my website because she's going to work with me. Think hopefully, hopefully I get, I'm one of those guys that gets very nervous in front of the camera. I don't like it. <laughs> so, we're going to work on it. You know, it won't take 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> It'll take all day. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I'll be uh, putting, <laughs> it'll be fun. <laughs> yes. I think it'll be easier for me because I know you, so I can be a little more myself, but I encourage people to also look on the Instagram link that I'm going to put up there. Cause just honestly, it's just fascinating how you take these pictures of food. I just, I find it really fascinating, but thank you so much for coming on and telling thank us you. your story. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It was a great moment. Thank you. Hey, you're still listening. Since you are, could you do me a favor and head over to the app that you're listening to this episode on and hit the subscribe button and then rate and review the show? It would really help the Pencils and Lipstick podcast get out into the world. And if you're enjoying the podcast, well, then there might be more people out there who would enjoy it as well. If you want to find out more about me, you can head over to catcaldwell.com. I have my story over there, my books, my interactive journals, my one-on-one coaching information, and information on my creative writing community membership group. If you're looking to write a book or you are a writer and you just want to find out more about how to write, how to publish, how to format, how to market, and all the things that go into being an author these days, check out the membership group. There is a 14 free day trial that you can try it out, get into the masterminds, find out all the goodies that we are talking about in the group. I would love to see you there.